Ah, this little four-inch slab of meat in your mouth is, is a collection of eight muscles that never grow tired. That's what we talked about last week. And your words are powerful, and your words will shape the direction of your life. What's even scarier than that is your words will shape the direction of the lives around you. So we've got to be very, very careful when we speak. In fact, James said that our tongues are untamable. It always needs a leash. It always needs a bridle so that it doesn't burn down your future and maybe someone else's future. So our theme for this whole series has been this. Ready? Quick to listen, slow to speak. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. Rachel said all she has to do is, is this to uh, match siblings. And they get the point. They're like, quick to listen, slow to speak. Uh, how many of you this last, uh, these last two weeks since we started this series, how many of you have had the opportunity to be quick to listen? Come on. How many of you have blown the opportunity to be quick to listen and slow to speak? There we go. Yeah, that's what y'all were waiting on, right? So James told us that our mouths, there's evil in us. When we say something, we open our mouths and insert foot, and we go, I don't even know where that came from. James says, I do. There's evil in you. When there's evil in you, it's going to come out. And so God has given us this button. It's the pause button. And the only way that we're ever going to be able to use the pause button is if we remember what James told us, to be quick to listen, slow to speak. One more time. Quick to listen, slow to speak. Now, this week, um, I was sitting in my chair, and, and I was really, actually several weeks, I felt like God has wanted me to share this with you, and I just, I don't want this to ever come across as anything that I'm promoting myself, but this is what happened this week. So this is my journal, and so every day I open up my Bible, and, and I got this Bible here, and this is, let me tell you, the kindest gift anyone ever gave a bald-headed five-year, a five-year, 55-year-old man is a five-year-old, sometimes I act like it, is a large print Bible. Uh, Bobby and Alicia Prickett gave this to me, and in fact, it has the date on here. Just showed up one day, Saturday, April 6th. I'm sitting in my chair, and they, up, they show up, knock on the door, hand me this, and they say, see ya, and they leave. And so I open it, and it's a giant print Bible, and I thought, that's the kindest gift that I've ever gotten. So every day I open my Bible, I'm sitting in my chair, and I have this open, I have this as my, my journal, and then I'm going through, right now, I'm going through the, the, the book of Ezekiel, so I have a, a commentary on Ezekiel by Warren Wearsby. And so over the, over the last, um, actually this is since April of this, this last year, so I looked back, and, and here's April, uh, April's this one, April 15th, tax day. I was studying uh, Psalm 67, and so what what I do is I'll, I'll read the psalm, whatever's listed in here, and then I'll write it down at the top, and then I go through the commentary. This is psalms, and then there's Proverbs, and then there's Isaiah, there's Ecclesiastes, there's Ezekiel, which is what I'm on right now. And um, when, I, when I read through the commentary, I highlight it, and then I actually write down the things that God is telling me that day. And so if there are other verses um, that come up, I go and I read them because I'm just like, okay, what's he mean here? Because he'll just say it like I'm supposed to know it, you know, in, in, in Isaiah this. And so if I'm in Ezekiel, I'll go over and I'll read it. Well, as I'm going over into Ezekiel, um, I mean over into Isaiah, I was reading this passage, and I came across Isaiah 50, verse 4, and I had highlighted it. And so this is, uh, I wrote it down on Tuesday of this week. On January 13th at the top, I wrote this verse down. And here's what it says. The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. And as I saw it, I thought, oh man, this is perfect for our series. God, how did you know that this was going to be here? Well, on November 1st, 
Back here on November 1st, I was studying Isaiah chapter 50, and I highlighted, and I said, you know, I need to memorize that. So this is actually my current memory verse. And so I wrote that down. And then as I'm going back, I see it's highlighted, and I said, God, you knew that we hear this today. And, and look at the key. Here's the key. It says, the sovereign Lord, and that is the Lord Adonai. It means, it means sovereign Lord, but, but it also means the God who is in control of everyone, who owns everything and everyone. The Lord, the sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue, not an ignorant tongue, mean tongue, not a, not a blasphemous tongue, not a, a, not a bitter tongue. He has given me a well-instructed tongue. And look what it says. He, uh, to know the word that sustains the weary, if ever, if ever I say anything that ministers to, you heart, to your heart, you know it does not come from me because I'm five years old. Actually, I'm 55 years old, but I messed that up earlier. 55 years old, and you know that I can't possibly have anything to know. And in fact, in the first service, there's a group of ladies here that several weeks ago, they said, Doug, have you been reading our text? And I said, that shows there is a God. If I ever have a well-instructed tongue that speaks to your heart, it is the sovereign Lord. It is not me. It's not any pastor who stands up in front of you. If you watch people on TV and they minister to your heart, it did not come from them. There's a Holy Spirit. There's a sovereign God who owns everybody who has given them a well-instructed tongue. How do you Get a well-instructed tongue. Look what it says. He wakens me morning by morning. Wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The reason your words are destructive is because you do not have a well-instructed tongue. You've not spent time in the Word. You're not memorizing God's Word. You're not praying. That's the only explanation. If you want to have a well-instructed tongue, you better listen. You better be quick to listen, slow to speak, because God will never give you a destructive or an ignorant tongue. Okay. Now, how many of you are breathing today? Most of you. If you're breathing today, James says your mouth is dangerous. And it will set people on fire. So we've got to get a control of it. Today we're going to look at the words of Paul. The Apostle Paul first appears on the pages of Scripture as Saul of Tarsus. Tarsus was well north of Jerusalem, and um, Paul was a Pharisee. At the time, Saul was a Pharisee, and Pharisees had counted all of the, the rules in the Old Testament, and there's 613. But the, but the Pharisees said, that's not enough. We're going to add to them. And so thousands and thousands of rules. For example, this says, um, you should do no, do no work on the Sabbath. Keep the Sabbath holy. Do no work. Keep it holy to the Lord. Well, the Pharisees had added things like, here's how many words you can say on the Sabbath without it being work. Here's how many steps you can take without it being work. And they just added all these other rules. And Paul was the best of the best. He was part of, we think he may have been part of the uh, Sanhedrin, which was the, the Supreme Court of the Jews. And he lived well north of, of Jerusalem, but he would come down to Jerusalem and he, would, he came across these people called Christians. That actually is a term for little Christ. These people were so annoying the Jews. They were so much like Jesus. They couldn't stand them just like they couldn't stand Jesus that they, had, they intended it to be a criticism when they said, you're little Christ's. Oh, may, may people say about me that I'm a little Christ. May that be the only criticism they have about me and you is that we are so much like Jesus that all they can think to say is, you little Christ. Well, Saul got so fed up with these little Christ that he said, I'm personally going to stamp them out before they get started. He went to the high priest and he got these, these certificates um, that, that allowed him to arrest anyone who called themselves a Christian. 
And it was a blank document anywhere he went. Anybody that said, Jesus is the Son of God, he would arrest them, he would bring them back to the temple, they would try these people, they would torture them, they would execute some of them, simply because they were little Christ. Paul could not stand them, and he wanted to kill them. If you don't like Christians, then Paul is your guy, or Saul is your guy, because he hated Christians. One day he's got his little certificate. He's on the way to Damascus when he's blinded by the light. And I'm not going to go on because you don't know the rest of those words either. You don't know exactly what that means. But I don't know if that's where the song came from. But Paul was blinded. And he said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord Jesus spoke to him and he said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. And when you're blinded by a light like that and you hear a voice from heaven, it changes you. And this guy who destroyed churches then began starting churches all over the Mediterranean rim. And then later he would write letters back to those churches. And one of the letters that he wrote was Ephesians. Go ahead and put that up there if you would, Krista. Here's the map. So Ephesus is right here. Jerusalem is right here. That's a long ways away. Paul started churches in Antioch, Ephesus, Athens, Corinth, Philippi. He eventually goes to Rome because he's under house arrest and he has to appear before Caesar. And so Paul is writing this letter to Christians in Ephesus about their mouths. Now, remember last week when we were looking at James, James says your mouth is set on fire by hell and it says out of the same mouth should, should not come blessing to God and cursing of other people. He said this should not be, period, the end, and he leaves us hanging. Well, Paul doesn't leave us hanging. He's going to pick up the baton and tell us what's going on. He's writing to Gentiles uh, who've become Christians and they've left what was called the pagan worldview. And they're asking this question. They're asking, how do I follow Jesus in the midst of my culture? Which is a great question we all should be asking. How do I follow Jesus in my culture? The Christians in Ephesus had a very different upbringing than those in Jerusalem. So down here in Jerusalem, these people grew up knowing there's one God. The people up here in Ephesus, they believe there's many gods. It was called a, a pantheism of gods. Many, 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 many gods. And they're raised very, very differently. And Paul says you can't live the same way that you were raised. And he begins to t give them some uh, explanation about how they're supposed to live. And so a pagan believes in tons of gods, and a pagan believes that, that everything is about you. Their gods believe that everything is about them. They wanted to be like their gods. So sex, drugs, rock and roll, anything that makes you happy, you pursue it. Anything that doesn't make you happy, you get rid of it. And it doesn't matter if you screw over your neighbor. So as long as you're happy, there's no morality that everyone has. And here's what Paul says to people who used to be in that. He said, so I tell you this and, and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer, you used to live like Gentiles. You used to be a pagan. You don't get to do that anymore uh, in the futility of their thinking. You grew up a pagan, so you acted like a pagan. But pagans don't see the world the way God, people, God followers see the world. Verse 18, they, and I left pagans in there so you know what he's talking about, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. It seems like a huge criticism that Paul is, is, is laboring against them, but, but look at this word. Ignorance does not mean stupid. He said they're not stupid people. They're ignorant of the life that God has called you to go apart. Now, the Jews were called willfully ignorant, and that's, that's rebellion. These people are just ignorant. They don't know any better, so he was, just giving, he was just making a comment on who they were and how they were living their lives. And so in, in Ephesus, it was the Greek and Roman gods, and you may remember the Greek and Roman gods from either high school literature or college literature. They were all about themselves, and they were bizarre. I mean, the gods would, would have sex with other gods, and they would have baby gods, and then they would have baby gods, and sometimes they'd get tired of having sex with the other gods, and they'd have sex with humans, and they'd have half gods, and they just made stuff up, and it was bizarre. He said, that's how these people have been living. 
And, and they just made them up. Here's what they did. They, they took human characteristics and gave them to their God, but with some superpowers, right? Like Zeus and, and, and uh, Athena and all these different gods just gave them superpowers, kind of like we do with in the comics. If, you, if you're into Marvel comics or DC comics, you know, the superheroes, that's what they did with the gods. It was people just making them up, and the, and the gods were all about themselves, and the people wanted to be like those gods, and they just wanted to be happy. Paul is addressing former polytheists, former pagans, and he says, you don't get to live like that anymore. The world you came from, very, very different when you, when you follow Jesus. And the main difference can be observed by simply looking at the gods, lowercase g, multiple gods, and he says, you know there is one God, and he's very different, and you've been called to follow him. Verse 19, having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed. See, in, the goal, in, in, in the, this culture, there was a golden rule. He who has the gold makes the rules, right? It, it, if you were in power, if you had money, the, you, you made the rules. The only thing that mattered was to make yourself happy, and it didn't matter how many people you stepped on to get there. See, Jesus comes along, and he says, do unto others as, as you would have them do unto you. We call that the golden rule. Their golden rule was do unto others before they do unto you. He's not condemning them. He's just saying this is how these people live. Verse 20. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. All that greed, all that sex, all that corruption, all that lying, ripping people off is not the life you've been called to when you chose to follow Jesus. There's new rules. There's a new code of conduct. When these, when these polytheists are worshiping these made-up gods, they're just doing what they know, but that's not you. Verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Okay, so the best way I can figure out to, to kind of explain this to you is the pagan life, this, any life before Christ is like having on a big heavy coat. Now, I'm already sweating, and I, I've worn this. I bought this thing because I don't like to be cold, but, but I don't like to be hot either. And so, like right now, I'm going to be sweating big time. I'm taking that off. All right. But this is your old way of life, and these are called deceitful desires. Whoa, hello. Free sex, no strings attached. And let me just tell you, there's, there's no such thing as free sex, no strings attached. Anytime you have sex with someone, there are strings attached. But a deceitful desire says you can have it. You can cheat on your test. You can do all of these things. This, this garment is infested with deceitful desires. Oh, you can lie and get away with it. In fact, if you lie, you'll be happier than if you don't. That's a deceitful desire. Here's another one. What does this one say? Oh, you can gossip. Don't think that gossip is a bad thing. You can get together with other people and you can rip other folks. It doesn't matter what the Bible says. Deceitful desire. Got one here. Pride, you can, you, pride is going to make you happy. You don't have to admit anything to anybody. It's a deceitful desire. Now, let me tell you what a deceitful desire is. A deceitful desire promises one thing, but it doesn't deliver. Have you ever chased something and you got exactly what you wanted and then once you got it, you're like, this really didn't satisfy? That's a deceitful desire. And I save this one for last. You ever heard of something called an open marriage? Several years ago, um, somebody recommended this couple come to see me, and, 
and they were, they were not Christ followers. They did not believe the Bible. They didn't like preachers, and they came to me for counseling. And I said, let me just start off and say, I don't know why you're here because all I'm going to tell you is what God says in the Bible. And they're like, well, we heard you could help us. And so I said, okay, tell me what's going on. The husband came up with this great idea. He got tired of, of just having sex with his wife, so he wanted to have sex with other people. He wanted her permission. So she gives him permission, but when he goes out there, he doesn't find any sex. She, however, finds lots of men who want to have sex with her. And the husband who got exactly what he wanted, all of a sudden he didn't like it anymore because all the dudes are paying attention to her. And he's going, wait, we need to change the rules. She's going, I like it. It was a deceitful desire. You can have an open marriage. You can have it all. And he's miserable. And it wasn't long before those people got a divorce. I finally said, I don't even know why you're coming to me because you're not listening. And you don't believe like I believe. You just need to go do your own thing. And shortly after that, they got a divorce. Deceitful desire says, you can have this. But if you don't get it, you know what the deceitful desire whispers to you? Once you get it, if you don't get what you want, the deceitful desire says, next time. We'll get them next time. It didn't work this time because you just fill in the blank. Pick an excuse. Didn't work this time, but next time you can have it all. Paul says, you got to take off that lifestyle with its deceitful desires. You've got to take it off and then you put on the righteousness of Christ. You see, it's like a robe. If I had a, if I had a pristine white robe that I could wrap around me and it represented the love of Christ, you put on the love of Christ so that when God looks at you, he doesn't see the deceitful desires that you used to be a part of. He sees that you're clothed in Jesus Christ today. And one of the first ways that when you're clothed in Christ that it, it's reflected in your behavior is with your mouth. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. This, uh, this word, unwholesome, is a very interesting Greek word. One of the things I like about the New Testament was written in Greek. Actually, the Old Testament is Aramaic and Hebrew. All of the words had word pictures attached to them. The word picture in Greek attached to unwholesome Stay, it, it's the word used to describe rotting fish. You know, maggots, nasty, make you want to vomit that smell. You know what I'm saying? I want to describe this because I want you to get this in your mind. Or rotting fruit. When we've been in Haiti, there's many times we go by the market and there's just stuff rotting out there. And it turns your stomach. That's the word. Don't you dare, Paul says, let any rotting words, distasteful words come out of your mouth. So to help you remember this, we're going to say it this way. Avoid Fish mouth. And that's not good enough. I want, you to, I want you to never be this guy. Literally. He's got a fish in his mouth. That's just dumb. I don't understand that. Now, when Paul is talking about don't let anything distasteful come out of your mouth, he's not just talking about you need to speak the truth. It goes way beyond that. Even pagans knew they were supposed to speak the truth whether they did it or not. Paul says, no, I'm raising the standard. Not only should you speak truth, but you need to guard your mouth so that nothing distasteful ever comes out. Don't you be a fish mouth. Don't you let odor come out of your mouth through your words. And then look at this word. I went back and I highlighted a different word. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. The, the idea is you have a choice. You're the gatekeeper of your mouth. Paul says these distasteful words are going to rush the gate day after day, and you have a choice. As the gatekeeper, you cannot let them out. He says the only words that you're going to let out of your mouth, if you're going to follow Christ and reflect Christ, 
The only words are those you've gone through their backpack. Like you go, y'all been to a Rangers game or to a Cowboys game or, or Mavericks or whatever. Now they have the metal detectors. And if you have a bag, you have to hand it over here and they go through your bag. And one time Janie and I went to a concert. Last year we went to a Chris Tomlin concert. And I, I forgot and I had um, uh, pepper spray on my keys. And like and the cop goes, dude, you can't bring that in here. I said, oh, yeah. <laughs> sorry. He said, what are you going to do with it? I said, chunk it. You know, I'll, I'll buy some more some other time. The only words that are going to come out of your mouth, you've gone through their backpack, you've gone through their purse, you've gone through and you've made sure, oh no, we're not going to let any of that fish mouth, that distasteful, rotten, maggot-infested words, they're not coming out of this mouth. Not this time. See, the Apostle Paul, he's not saying that you just need to be nice with your words. He's raising the standard. He said your words need to be helpful. Sometimes being helpful means saying the hard things to someone else. But can I be honest with you? Some of you, if you're the red personality, if you don't know what that is, you need to ask somebody about the red temperament. If you're the red temperament, the, the type A personality, you probably need to dial it back six or seven or ten notches when you're speaking the truth to somebody. Because your intensity is destroying people. And when you have that look on your face and those words in your heart and they're coming out, it's not helpful. It's hurtful. And then being helpful means you've got to speak the truth. So some of you need to dial it up six or ten or eight hundred notches and speak the truth in love. Now it gets to a phrase in this verse that I think is the most helpful phrase of all as far as a word picture is concerned. I'm going to read the whole verse. Ephesians 4.29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up. It's a construction term. Um, he's saying, God's telling us through Paul, use your words to build. So we're going to talk about words that build. Now, Waylon loves Legos. Let me, let me take that back. What Waylon loves to do is come into our game room and he'll say, I want to build a house, which means I want you to build a house for me, right? So he doesn't do a lot of building. He'll go play, and when you've built the house, you're like, hey, Waylon. So I just got a little one here. Hey, Waylon, I built you a house. And you know the first thing he does? He comes in with whatever he has. Captain America, he just discovered Captain America the other day, and he thought it was so cool because he had a circle. I'm like, dude, that's a shield, but it didn't matter. And he blows it up, and he goes, ha, ha, ha. I want to build a house. He wants you to build another one. Whatever he has, it's, it's like Waylon. Waylon's like a miniature Hulk, you know, Hulk smash, Waylon smash. <laughs> build another one. Paul says your words are supposed to build people up. You're supposed to view every conversation like it's a, it's a construction zone. And every word is supposed to build them up so that when people leave a conversation with you, they're better than when, when they met you before. When the words come out of your mouth, who do they generally benefit? Is it the people who listen or is it you? See, too often I want to tell my story. And I want to make my point. And I want to show what I know. And I want to get the last word in. What's the problem with every one of those statements? I. And it's not vision here. It's the letter I. I have an I problem. You have an I problem. And it comes out of our mouths. And it's not words that build. Verse 30. 
Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The way that you grieve the Spirit when it comes to our mouths is you use words that would make God say, I'm trying to build that person up. How dare you use your words to tear them down? That grieves the Holy Spirit. Paul says, don't you do it. So he says, don't use words that demolish. That is not your option. You don't get to use the hammer. You don't get to be wailing because it's cute. My little three-year-old grandson, it's pretty cute. It's not getting cute anymore. After you've made about ten houses, it's not cute anymore. It is never cute when someone who says, I'm a follower of Christ, destroys someone else with their words. Even tough words need to be used in a way that, that God gets the glory. And then look what he says in verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Now, get rid of doesn't mean you set it aside so that you can use it again if you need to. Well, if I get ticked off, I want to have these words. No, no, no. Get rid of, where'd I put my... Oh, it's dark and I can't see it over here. Here it is. Get rid of means put it in a trash bag. So if I have bitterness, this, this bucket represents your heart. If I have bitterness in my heart, I don't get to leave bitterness in my heart. Paul's telling us you've got to put it in the trash bag. And then on trash day, you walk that trash bag out and you let it go somewhere else. You don't get to use it. It's gone. You've given it to God. If I have rage, he's talking about all these things. Rage? Rage doesn't honor God. It will grieve the Holy Spirit. You take that rage and you put it away. Slander? How dare you slander someone who's made in the image of God? <laughs> he says you've got to take those things and get rid of them. Because here's the deal. If you have bitterness in your heart, Paul says you can't be a builder. You can't use words to build people up when you've got bitterness in your heart because bitterness will infect everything. Your tone of voice, your countenance, your attitude. Bitterness affects the content and the intent of your words. You want to know where your bitterness came from? In most cases, you want to know where your bitterness came from? It came from words spoken to, about, or over you. And now, because you're hurt from somebody in your past, you're trying to hurt the people around you from what something was done to you in the past. People wrestling with bitterness, trying to people pay people back that never did anything to them because they can't pay back the people who did something to wound them. You may have grown up in a home where, where nothing positive was ever said to you. Or if it was positive, there was always a hook or a barb or a criticism at the end. You may have come out of a marriage where you couldn't do anything right. And they took from you what they had no right to take from you. They took your self-respect, your self-esteem. They took things from you that they had no right to take from you. And then we come into a new relationship. And we're punishing the people around us because of what happened in our past. The shrapnel of those words that hurt us are now being used by us to hurt others. We're speaking to, over, and about people out of the pain from our past. Those wounds affect how we say our words and those wounds also affect some words we rarely say when we're bitter and angry. We rarely say, I'm sorry. 
we rarely say, would you forgive me because there's so much pain in our hearts? We don't even consider building someone up with our words. Bitterness, you know the only thing that, that, that gets rid of bitterness? I actually wore this shirt on purpose today. It's forgiveness. And here's, here's how I put forgiveness down. Forgiveness is the decision to give someone from the past what they don't deserve so that you can give to those around you now what they do deserve, which is words that give life, words that build up. <clears throat> so we're going to get rid of several words. I, I got a bucket here today, and I don't know what I did with those words. Where'd I put? Oh, they're there. We're going to get rid of words that demean. We'll put them in a trash bag, and when, when it's garbage day, we're going to take them out. Words that demean means you lower in dignity or honor or standing. It's tearing someone down and saying, you don't matter. And your heavenly father says, oh, really? They matter to me. That's my son. That's my daughter. If they matter to me as the, as the heavenly father, they better matter to you. We're going to get rid of words that degrade. Degrade means to lower in rank. How many of y'all have been in the military? When you're busted back in rank, that's not a good thing. Well, you're saying to someone when you degrade them, you're saying, I'm better than you. You're saying, you don't measure up. And your heavenly father says, did you measure up to my standard? What's his standard? Perfection. Jesus Christ hanging on a cross. If you don't measure up to that, and the Bible says nobody does. There's not one righteous. No, not one. Game over. I don't get to judge you on how good you are because I'm not good enough. When you're looking at the cross, I, I don't judge you when I'm looking into Jesus' face. We're going to get rid of words that disrespect Rude words, discourteous words. God says, how dare you disrespect someone that I respect? People are created in the image of God and you've never looked into the eyes of someone who does not matter to God. They may not be a child of God, but they matter to Him. Scripture said, God is not slow as some count slowness, but He's patient towards you. Not wanting for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Not all are going to come to repentance, but that doesn't mean you get to disrespect somebody. So we're going to get rid of those words. And I got, I got another one. I, just, I brought this back out. We're going to get rid of ignorant words. You know what ignorant words are? They're words spoken about to or over someone when you have no clue what that person has gone through. It's, I, actually, I actually told Caleb this week, we were talking, and, and I said, uh, this would be a good chance for you to be slow to speak. You need to be quick to listen. And here's what I said. I said, any of my three children, when they have walked through the valleys that Janie and I have walked through, that's when they can give us advice about the decisions that we need to make. Until that time, you better be quick to listen and slow to speak. Which means, I haven't walked through your valleys. I haven't walked one or two steps in your shoes. How dare I judge you with my words. So when we talk about ignorance, here's, here's what I want us to do. I actually brought today a bucket of ignorance because, because the name of Christ is blasphemed when we spread ignorance. 
We do it in churches when we get in little groups outside. Did you hear about it? Did you know? Did you know? And we call it prayer concerns. You're not praying. Your tongue is lit on fire by the pit of hell, the source of evil himself. And he laughed and he gets all kinds of glory. When you take from that bucket, you say, here, let me give you some of my ignorance. When Paul says in Ephesians 4.32, be kind. We need a bucket of kindness. Kindness says, I'm going to look at whatever you need and I'm going to build you up with my words. And then he says, be kind and compassionate to one another. Compassion means I tap into your emotions before I speak to you, which means I need to listen first. And the only way you can be kind and compassionate, the only way you can share that with your words is if you do the next thing, forgive. Well, well, can I forgive them just as much as they forgave me? Nope. What's the standard? Just as who? Just as in Christ, God forgave you. So this is, we're going to call this the platinum rule. The platinum rule says, do for others what God in Christ has done for you. Or for our purposes in, in this Me and My Big Mouth series, we're going to say it this way, speak unto others as God in Christ has spoken over you. Can you imagine what would happen at your next family gathering if everybody spoke to themselves the way Christ speaks to you and over you and about you? Somebody think they come to the wrong house. What happened to my family? No one has ever been built, has been made better or been built up by criticism and sarcasm. Criticism and sarcasm, all that does is build resentment. So if you're a dad and you have thousand pound words that you speak into the, your children's lives, sarcasm and, and, and criticism is just going to make it harder for you to connect with their heart. You'll build resentment in them. Moms, if you're speaking into your daughter and you're trying to shape her with your words, all you're going to do is build resentment. You're not going to build her up into who God created her to be. Paul says, stop it. Knock it off. That is not how you get to live. We have a new code. Stick to the code. What is it, Will? Let's go back. Here's, here's what you need to do. Ephesians 4.29. I want you to memorize this verse. And I've memorized this verse. I've known this verse. I don't even know how many years I've known this verse. And you could say, well, it didn't help you win. Yeah, you're right. I'm not saying that it always helps, but here's the thing. In Psalm 119, Paul asks a question. I mean, David asks a question. He says, how can a young man keep his way pure? Then he answers this question. He says, um, by keeping it according to your word. And then he says this in verse 10. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. And then here's verse 11. Your word I've hidden my heart so that I might not, what's that next word? Sin against you, God, with my words, right? How can I be, how can I be pure? By putting God's word in my heart. So memorize this. Let, do not let any unwholesome, any distasteful maggot words come out of your mouth but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. That's not what we're known for. And if you memorize this verse and you still struggle with your mouth, then I want you to go and I want you to buy some paper. Did you know they still sell paper? Carlene helped me find this one. 
I said, I need as many pages as possible. And I don't want a lot of those. You know, I've only got one little. I said, I just want paper so that I can write down what God's saying to me. And on the next page, I write down what I'm praying about. So every day, there's, there's, here's what God said to me. And then here's, here's what I say to God. I want you to take a piece of paper. And I want you to answer this question. What was taken from me that I'm trying to get other people to pay back to me? What was taken from me from that other job? What was taken from me from that marriage? What was taken from me growing up that I find myself trying to get from everybody else? What was it? What do I think someone owes me that I'm trying to get other people to pay me back for? The people today to pay me for what somebody in my past owes me. And then when you get that little piece of paper, or maybe some of you, gonna, you need to find Carlene and get about 120 pages maybe because you've got a lot of hurts, habits, and hang-ups. You write that stuff down, you're going to put it in the trash bag. And you're going to take it out to the trash and you're going to leave it. To get rid of means that you've got to get it out of your life because you're not going to be a person who's known for bitterness and anger and malice and slander and rage. You're not going to be that person. You're going to be someone who builds. You're not going to allow what has happened in your past to fuel the words that you speak to over and about people today. Does anyone, anyone want to be a builder? We've got to ask God to teach us how to do that. Let's pray together. Father, James was right. Our tongues are dangerous. And our hearts are injured. And we spend so much of our conversations trying to get others to pay us back for something that hurt us in our past. Today, God, I, I want to I claim this verse over new life. That we're going to, with your power, with your help, we're going to become a church where we don't let unwholesome words come out of our mouths where we view conversations as building opportunities, construction sites, so that we can build up people who are made in your image, people who you love, rather than tear people down. Teach us how to do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.